This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where we just set another new record for COVID-19. The Health Department reporting 3,207 new cases of coronavirus Thursday, shattering the previous record set on Monday. Over the past week, Florida has recorded more than 17,000 new cases of COVID-19. Maybe that's why some experts are saying we could be the next epicenter of the pandemic in America. Remember when Florida's governor blamed New Yorkers for bringing coronavirus to the Sunshine State, even imposed a quarantine? After checking out the latest stats, the governor of New York is now considering a quarantine for anyone visiting from Florida. They were afraid that New Yorkers were bringing the virus to their state. Fast forward 100 days, now we're afraid they're bringing the virus to our state. While the new cases pile up, reopening efforts continue. The governor and the state education commissioner have a plan for safe reopening of schools, but the people who run your local schools actually have the final say. Today's the day a mandatory face mask rule takes effect in St. Petersburg. It starts at 5 p.m. Orange County's mayor has signed a similar order that takes effect tomorrow. Speaking of reopening, you can now get a lap dance in Miami-Dade. Five strip clubs have reopened. More are on the way. A big win for the DACA Dreamers. The U.S. Supreme Court rejects the president's plan to terminate the program designed to help immigrants who were brought here by their parents when they were just kids and have lived in America most of their lives. That's the subject of today's deep dive on the podcast. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida man who says he really didn't want to send those dick pics to a 10-year-old girl, but he was trying to be nice. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, June 19th. A dark day in Florida's fight against coronavirus. We set a new record Thursday when the health department added more than 3,200 new cases to the official COVID list. The total number is now just short of 86,000, with 20% of them reported in the past week alone. The number of fatalities continues to rise, and there have now been at least 3,154 deaths in Florida from the virus. Florida is one of 10 states to report a record number of infections in the past week, and modeling by scientists at the University of Pennsylvania shows Florida has all the markings of being the next epicenter of the virus. CNN's medical expert, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, says Florida's numbers are troubling. The big concern always has been when you start to reopen, you knew there was going to be an increase in the number of people infected. I think the concern has always been, does that then turn into exponential growth? Think of it like a big steamship, right? The big steamship is sort of plodding along slowly, but now it's gaining speed. And if it gains significant speed, it becomes really hard to slow down. It becomes sort of a runaway ship. So, you know, that is the, that is the concern, I think, in Florida, you know, amplified by this idea that we have identified who the vulnerable populations are to this disease. A lot of people are going to get the infection and have very minimal symptoms, they may not even know they had it. Uh, you know, they say some 80% of people will be like that. The problem is, you know, you start to superimpose that on vulnerable populations, elderly populations, people with pre-existing conditions, and it turns into a real problem. Then it's not just cases, it's hospitalizations and sadly, deaths. So there's always a lag period here. We've been watching those numbers in Florida very, very carefully. Now, you remember back in the early days of the pandemic when Governor Ron DeSantis blamed New Yorkers for spreading the virus? He ordered anyone arriving here from New York to spend the next 14 days in quarantine. Uh, I issued an executive order requiring everybody arriving from the New York City area to self-quarantine for 14 days. We have National Guard and some other health folks at the airports all these folks are having, uh, they're in for, they have to provide information, they have to provide a place where they'll be self-isolating, um, and that is enforceable under the executive order, so they could face adverse consequences. My sense is most people 
will want to self-isolate. I think they want to listen to directives. Um, but in case they don't, um, you know, we're, we're going to have uh, an ability to deal with it. DeSantis even set up a law enforcement checkpoint on Interstate 95 to pull over every car coming from New York, New Jersey and Connecticut. My, how things have changed. Florida's COVID caseload is going up, New York's is going down, and New York's governor, Andrew Cuomo, is now considering a quarantine on Floridians. If you went to Florida, you had to quarantine for two weeks because they were afraid that New Yorkers were bringing the virus to their state. Fast forward 100 days, now we're afraid they're bringing the virus to our state. I mean, that's why it's a tale of two cities, two countries. How co- who, who could have, how, co- how do you explain this? Who would believe this? Who would believe this 180 turnaround? Uh, but I haven't made a decision yet, but I have had experts advise me of that. It is a real concern. You're right. It could happen. And it's something I'm considering. Governor DeSantis has refused to issue a statewide order requiring people to use protective masks, but local officials have stepped into the breach. Orange County Mayor Jerry Deming says he'll sign an executive order requiring every person in the county, which includes Orlando, to wear a mask. It's an effort to try to stem a resurgence of the virus that's been seen in recent days, and the order takes effect tomorrow. Mayor Deming says they're trying to prevent another shutdown. St. Petersburg's mayor has issued a mask mandate on Wednesday, and it takes effect today at 5. It covers all employees who make contact with the public. Florida's COVID numbers may be going up, but that will not stop business, including the business of sex. Five strip clubs have been reopened in Miami-Dade, and there is a whole new definition of protection. At the booby trap, all staff and customers get their temperatures checked, and the club is off-limits to anyone who tops 100.1 degrees. Employees at a strip club called The Body are strongly encouraged to wear face shields, and lap dances will be allowed. Just think about that for a moment. Is there anything more Florida than getting a lap dance during a pandemic from a stripper wearing a face shield? Really, the only thing missing there is an alligator on meth. As the number of COVID cases and fatalities continue to rise, officials throughout Florida are working on plans to reopen the schools. The governor and the education commissioner announced their plan a week ago, but Alex Kelly at the Department of Education says everything in their plan is a suggestion, not a mandate. That includes the decision to wear a mask. It is recommended, but not required. So there's no requirement uh, to wear a mask. We certainly encourage in the plan that we need to be supportive of Floridians who wish to wear wear a mask. We certainly know that at the very minimum um, that it is helpful. It's certainly not going to hurt. And um, and we know ultimately that we need to be supportive of those who wish to. We're not requiring it. We know that there are going to be some Floridians with other medical challenges that simply can't wear a mask. Uh, it's really a local decision. Hillsborough County School Superintendent Addison Davis says they plan to provide masks for all the teachers and school staffers, but they can't afford it for the students. We would love to make certain that uh, that everyone had the necessary PPE equipment that they need to, to feel comfortable when they come to the classroom. But let's look at Hillsborough County. When you have 220,000 students, for us to buy you know, single-day, single-use masks for our children, it would cost us $9 million a month in order to do so. Because you may, you may say, you know, Addison, what about reusables for our children? You got to look at it. We talked about the, the, the inequities that we have within our schools, but also look at with our communities. Some may not have the resources to wash these masks every single day. So we want to make certain that we're protecting them. We will encourage our students to, to wear masks if they feel and deem that's a necessary implementation that they want to have as they, you know, interact with our children and with, with, their, with their peers and our, and our uh, working our adults as well. 
but one thing we will do from a district is that we will purchase the necessary masks for every one of our employees. They will be reusable masks so that they can feel comfortable because they have so many touch points with so many children. If I'm teaching biology, I have 125 students that I see on a, on a daily basis. And we wanna make certain that we are protecting them, but also allow them to protect themselves and, and our children from any type of uh, contagion. So from us, it, it's uh, just not an affordable model related to 220,000 students. We're gonna have a, a sophisticated campaign to encourage our parents to take proactive steps and we will identify providers in which they can get it at a um, you know at a reduced cost. But right now, we're going to take an active role in protect in, in pro providing the necessary mask and, and equipment and materials and sanitation and you know equipment to our uh, staff members and to our teachers every day in the classroom. Social distancing will also be an issue at schools, especially on buses. Superintendent Davis says that's another budget buster. We're going to give masks for every student that wants to to ride the bus. They, they will have a mask, you know, to, for, for their interaction because very difficult to do for social distancing. If we were going to practice social distancing right now with it, with the number of students that ride in Hillsborough County, we would have to buy and purchase, you know, 2,000 additional buses. And ultimately, after you do, hire personnel, you look at fuel, where we have to spend $310 million a year in order to implement that. And that's just, you know, it just can't happen. But we're going to do everything I can, we can to make certain that children feel comfortable and that we're helping them along the way and parents along the way to take proactive steps. Despite the problems with masking and social distancing, Alex Kelly at the Department of Education insists the schools can reopen safely. Each school and each school district is going to need to put together its own comprehensive plan that addresses its unique, its unique considerations. So in many respects, uh, what we rolled out this week was meant to be uh, a checklist. Considerations, um, encourage, encouragement, uh, and opportunities and and backed by science and data a uh, foundation of the plan that we rolled out last week that the governor rolled out last week with the commissioner is is based on the economy it's based on the importance of this plan uh, we have to succeed we have to absolutely succeed in this regard because um, particularly the example of, of child care and early learning although this is true all throughout k-12 which is that uh, most parents most Floridians are counting on schools being open in order to fully rejoin the economy. So it's really imperative that we succeed. Our schools can reopen safely. We know this. Um, we know that with proper supports, schools can open safely. We're seeing that around the world right now. The Sunshine State is receiving $2 billion from the feds through the CARES Act to help reopen its public schools. Next up on Sunrise, a deep dive into the latest decision from the U.S. Supreme Court that has liberals cheering and conservatives wondering what happened to the court they thought was theirs. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local health care provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org slash COVID for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. Hispanics and immigration advocates throughout Florida are celebrating Thursday's decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to block the Trump administration's efforts to end DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. DACA started back in 2012. It's allowed hundreds of thousands of young adults who were brought to this country when they were just kids to avoid being deported back to their home countries. 
Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell of Miami-Dade says this is a huge win for DACA recipients, commonly referred to as the Dreamers. Today's Supreme Court decision confirms what we already knew, which is that Dreamers are Americans and this is their home. It's a monumental decision and now hundreds of thousands of Dreamers can live knowing that we are going to welcome them. They can continue to take care of our COVID-19 patients. They are nurses, they are teachers, they are our neighbors. They can continue to contribute billions to our economy. Just in Florida alone, they contribute almost $2 billion to our economy. They have been in the front lines, like I said, fighting and combating COVID-19. And they are um, our pillar, they are us. This is who we are here in South Florida. But let's remember why we're here today. And that is because the Trump administration started with an anti-immigrant agenda. He created this crisis by choosing to end DACA, and he didn't have to do that. Now the Supreme Court ruled that uh, Trump broke the law in terminating DACA, specifically their five to four decision ruled that the administration's termination of the program was arbitrary and capricious, not legally sound. Now, the Trump administration and the U.S. Customs and Immigration Services must immediately accept DACA renewals and new DACA applications and restore the DACA program to its original state before termination. This is what's required by the court and the administration is required to honor the court's decision. This is also a great first step, but what we need to do in Congress is make sure that we enact this into law. The House of Representatives passed H.R. 6, which was the Dreamers Act, and it provides a pathway for citizenship for the tens of thousands of Dreamers here in our state, but also for the hundreds of thousands of Dreamers that live across our nation. So I am urging our senators to pass the DREAM Act, which was passed last year, H.R. 6. The Supreme Court decision may be monumental, but it could be temporary. Cesar Ramirez is president of the Democratic Hispanic Caucus in Florida. He says this fight is not over. This is a day of victory, but as a, as a veteran, as a soldier, and as a strategist, I'll tell everyone that we won the battle, but the war is still yet to be won. So let's keep on fighting on that, and that's very important because um, elections does, does have consequences. And we need to get this guy out of the White House this November. If not, we'll be we'll still see uh, a lot of drama surrounding the DACA issue. Rosie Gonzalez Spear works as a strategist for the Florida Democratic Party. She says the decision is tenuous because it was based on a legal technicality. But even that did not stop her from celebrating. So happy to be here and I'm so excited for DACA. Yay, this was a big, big win. Um, so many of us fought so hard for what feels like forever for this. But I, I really hope that everyone takes some time reading the decision. Um, it's, it's, although it's hopeful, it's a little bit on a tacticality. Um, and so it's important that today we celebrate and and tomorrow we, we get back and continue to fight because um, I don't think that the Trump administration lawyers are going to let that loophole stand for very much longer. Florida Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott have suggested Republicans might be willing to pass the Dreamers Act if Democrats would agree to put more money into border enforcement. But Congresswoman McCarcel Powell says these are two separate issues. And frankly, she doesn't trust the GOP to keep its word. I think America, by this time, know and understand how disingenuous and dishonest 
uh, DC Republicans truly are. Border security is completely disconnected from this issue. Um, we all want to have a secure border. I don't think that anyone in the House of Representatives denies that, but that's a separate issue. Dreamers have been here for decades. They are Americans. This is just another way for them to feed their base. It's another way for them to obstruct anything that we do. Close to 80% of Americans right now support HR6. They support uh, a pathway for citizenship for dreamers. It's a clean bill. And if they truly want to give dreamers a pathway to citizenship, they can pass HR6. If they want to um, negotiate border security through the appropriations process, we can discuss that. But this is about dreamers. They've been here their entire lives. It's time to act. Democrats in the state legislature are hailing the Supreme Court decision. They're also calling for passage of a bill that would remove state prohibitions on DACA recipients that disqualify them for state financial aid awards, like the Bright Futures Scholarship. Your calendar of events begins with an online meeting of the Medicaid, Pharmaceutical, and Therapeutics Committee at 8.30. The Treasure Coast Regional Planning Council holds an online meeting at 9.30. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity will release the May unemployment numbers at 10. Oh, my. The Florida Coalition for Children holds an online graduation event at 7.50 this evening to honor former foster kids who have graduated from high schools, colleges, technical, and vocational schools. Finally today, it's time once again for the amazing adventures of Florida Man. A Florida man is accused of manipulating, threatening, and extorting a 10-year-old girl into sending him nude pictures of herself. Investigators in Polk County say 19-year-old Simon Anderson of Lake Wales coerced her by threatening to report the preteen to law enforcement and threatening to kill her and himself if she didn't comply. The girl says she sent the photos out of fear. When he was interviewed by deputies, Anderson admitted sending pictures of his penis. He claimed he didn't really want to, but did it to be nice. He's charged with extortion, possession of child pornography, transmitting harmful material to a child, and aggravated cyberstalking. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.